Welcome to the Ultimate Coach Podcast, Conversations from Being, inspired by the book, The Ultimate Coach, written by Amy Hardison and Alan Thompson. Join us each week with the intention of expanding your state of being, and your experience will be remarkable. Remember, this is a podcast about being. It is a podcast about you. To explore more deeply, visit theultimatecoachbook.com. Now, enjoy today's conversation from B. Fiona Ross, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Ultimate Coach Podcast. Thank you, Laban. It is a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to speak with you. The event coordinator extraordinaire, what is the word Hardison mean to you? Oh, the word Hardison. The word Hardison sums up two of the most incredible people I have met ever. It sums up, for me personally, the missing link. I've been in personal development a long time, and it is, it's the missing link, and it's not that it's not there in other people's work. It's that I didn't see it in other people's work. It wasn't until I came across Steve and Amy, that I started to understand that being is the missing link in personal development. So if I was to ask you, before you knew about the Hardison name, before you knew about the Ultimate Coach book, before you knew about this community of people, if I was to ask you what you did for a living, what would you say? Oh, I'm trying to think what life was like before, <laughs> before I knew Steve and Amy um, and being. I think I think my answers would have been very flat. Um, Humorous. Yeah, I, I would have probably just said I was a I was a men's coach. I coach men. That would have been. You know, I might have I might have had a one liner that I might reel out at a at a networking event or something, but essentially that's I help men, no no no. So now let me re ask the question. Now that you've been hardisoned, what do you do? I'm a stand for men in the world. Oh. Why does that sound so good to me? Because it's so important. It's important that and, and don't get me wrong, there's, there's an amazing amount of help for women in the world. And I love that there's an amazing amount of help for women in the world. That, you know, it, it is about time that women really had a place in the world. And in this great space, men are, they're feeling the pressure. And they, they're feeling a little uncertain of where they fit into this new, and I'll use the word paradigm for want of a better one, um, in this new paradigm, they, you know, before, we we're only talking kind of 50 years ago, guys kind of knew where they fit because there was that, that was the way. Um, and now I, I see so many guys being un unable to express themselves, unable to, to know who they are, where they fit in. And they struggle in silence. They keep secrets and, um, and relationships fall apart and marriages fall apart and children lose fathers. And it's, it's, a, it's a situation I, 
I want to change in the world. Well, he's not the only one blowing some hot air. The only difference is the hot air coming out of your mouth is uh, absolute <laughs> truth bombs. And and we, when I say we, I'm I'm, I'm for the collective. Thank you for focusing on such a like a such a fundamentally important topic. And it's not to diminish any of the work that's going on with with women out there. Like you say, there's there's work needed everywhere. But from a man from my own personal perspective, who used to be a little beta male cuckold, little B-I-T-C, you know what I mean, who developed into a ferocious, proud, masculine man who is empowered by the feminine energy of his brand new wife, Anna Madanova, or Anna Ditchburn, I should say now. Yeah. I love what you're doing. And, I, and I, what I'm really fascinated to know about Fiona is that how – since you've been involved in this this whitewash of everything, the ultimate coach and all the network and the community, how have you started to look at the world since that time? Do you know, it, it, it feels a little bit like I've got a, like a new pair of glasses and, and that I get to see something different about people because I see the difference between what they're saying, doing, and who they're being. And, and I think this is, it is, it's like having, it's like having little magical glasses that it, it kind of cuts through the bullshit. It cuts through the, the masks that, you know, in my case, the guys that I work with, it cuts through the masks of all of it because you can see through to who the person is being and why they're getting the results they're getting in the world. I just had a thought as you were saying that. I wonder if Steve and the work he does is maybe this is not the whole thing that he does, but maybe this is a good chunk of it. Maybe he's a professional pineal gland decalcifier. <laughs> do you, what do you know about the pineal gland? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, 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 you get that vision, right? <laughs> what do you reckon? The clarity clarity comes and and even from a personal perspective you know i i get we all wake up in a fug sometimes you know we all we all wake up and and life isn't as rosy as or we or we wake up listening to old programs and stuff that's going on in in the back of our minds but this gives you an, an immediate access to being different and coming back to a space it's almost like a reset you just go back to your declaration, you look at it, you read it out loud, you remember who you actually are and, and, and stop getting caught up in the emotions that can play a part in our lives. Stop confusing the emotions with the being. And it's, it's like a recentering. I'd love to hear your, your journey, your story of how you came into the ultimate coach world. Um, I can, well, I, the first time I ever heard Steve's name was um, through Steve Chandler and Rich Litvin in um, Prosperous Coach. And I had, I had listened to it on Audible many times and I just, I can remember Steve Chandler's voice saying, my coach, Steve Hardison, the, the ultimate coach. And I remember thinking, well, that's, that's quite a title to be the ultimate coach. Um, and I think at some point I might have Googled him and seen his website and didn't really have any further access into it. 
And it was actually joining Rich Litvin's community. And I met Abigail Olaya, who was one of Steve's clients, and she introduced me to him indirectly through the Giants and Smalls, actually, because Steve had given her a copy of the Giants and Smalls book for her girls. And um, she was telling me what an amazing, an amazing man he was and that he'd been just that day or the day before had popped around with a book for her children. And I, I immediately downloaded a version of it and read it and I kind of called her back and said, are you sure it was for the girls or, <laughs> or was it really for you kind of thing? Um, and then I just started to Google everything I could about Steve Hardison and, and I just became quite fascinated by the impact that through Abigail, but that he has on the people that he works with. And I found the TBOLIT NFL um, video and I found JP Morgan's video, 100 Hours with Steve. Um, and then I think I found him on Facebook and he accepted my friend request, request, which was like, wow. And it was just a sort of a, an organic growth um, so then I had access to his Facebook page and would see all his posts and his and the games he plays. And and interestingly, at this at this point, I had him, because he has this title of the ultimate coach, I had him quite high up on a bit of a pedestal. You know, I thought, you know, he, because he is a great man, but but I was putting myself beneath him in some way. Um, and now having experienced him. On, a, on a various different occasions, he's he doesn't he, he just levels the playing field straight away. There is no I'm here and you're there. It's just a pure love space, and uh, that's what I find absolutely. It's not remarkable. I suppose from that standpoint, from before, I would say it was remarkable. Now I am where I am. I just look at it. This is the most loving place a person can come from. So yeah, it was a it was a long and winding road. The long and winding road. Given you're in London. Speaking of London, you just executed. Well, was were a part of executing something magnificent in the ultimate experience London edition. One of a few amazing folks that put together something transformational. I think you had 500 people. We estimate a quarter of those came in from, from outside, of the, outside of London or the UK. What was that? So I have to take us back to, to the Phoenix event when Judy put on the ultimate experience in, in Phoenix. And um, on January the 1st, my partner looked at me and just said, why aren't you going to Phoenix? And I made a lot of excuses as to why I wasn't going. And he just looked at me and said, you need to be in Phoenix. And so I made it happen and I, and I went to Phoenix. And at that time, Matt Smith had already declared that he wanted to create the London event and had asked for any support and help. So quite a few people got in touch with Matt and, uh, and said, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll help you with this. So when I came back from Phoenix, we kind of started having meetings. And there were quite a lot of us in, in the beginning that were involved in it. And it was decided that we were going to do something impactful, something that was going to change the people's lives. 
Now, I, having been in Phoenix, knew that just being in that room for three hours was transformational. So when we were talking about doing a whole day event in London, it was like, wow, that, that is going to be something else. And so it was, it was amazingly, it was a four month from the time that Matt said he wanted to do it to the execution was a four month journey, which putting on an event, the size that we put on was quite a magnificent feat. And everyone worked tirelessly to make it happen, always through the filter of what will the experience of the person in the room be? Will it increase the magnificence of their being? That was the that was the filter question for everything that we did, and it was it was magical. Actually, it was truly magical. Well, you should be really proud, and and Matt and and the gang from every single person I've spoken to that was able to get there. Uh, it was magnificent, and uh, has I think been part of a chain of events. I think Gabby, the uh, Lightning, lightning of hope is putting something for South America, Central America somewhere. There's maybe one on Antarctica. <laughs> Who knows? Everything's on the on the table. I believe Canada might be having one as well. It's Canada doing. <laughs> well, they could do. They could certainly do with one. Fiona, I want to just go back to what you do for a minute because uh, we kind of just sort of glossed over that a little bit, and I think it's important for people that have never come across you which will be the majority of people on this, uh, on this, listening to this podcast. It's a really important subject. And I'd love for you to share an anecdote or a, a, one example of the improvements you've been. And I want you to boast a little bit. And this isn't ego. This is just we're knocking this tall, tall poppy syndrome thing to its knees, okay? It doesn't exist. Some of the amazing benefits that you've been able to impart in someone's life off the back of learning how to be better? So most of the men that I work with from the outside, it usually look like they've got it pretty good. You know, they've, they've got decent incomes, whether it's through their own business or they work for a large company. They've got high salaries. They're high achievers. They usually married with children and a big house and nice cars in the drive and great holidays and and look like they've got everything and and I, I spoke earlier about the secrets that that men keep and most of these guys are spinning plates at best trying to keep this lifestyle for them and their families going and what they're doing is they're sacrificing who they are to keep this going and they're exhausted they're looking at the future and their kids might be you know young still in school kind of age and they're going I've got to see my kids through college how am how am I going to keep this up how do I keep climbing the corporate ladder how do I keep growing and and getting more and keeping everyone happy and generally the way they do it is by sacrificing themselves and what that does is it it leads to the destruction of the family unit it leads to divorce and relationship breakdown it leads to health crisis it leads to 
guys making dumb decisions like having affairs and stuff like that to, to kind of fill the void. And ultimately, the work that I do with them puts them on a different trajectory. It allows them to keep everything that they've worked so hard to achieve and it allows them to be themselves and be happy within that. What are some of the secrets that men keep? Um, the sort of secrets they keep, I mean, they could be the big ones, like they're having an affair, um, but it's their, it's their emotional secrets that they keep. They keep their needs secret. They keep their, their wants and desires um, secret. They keep their problems secret. They don't share them of themselves because they're trying to keep this illusion that they've got it all under control and it's all good and I can deal with all of it and it's going to be just fine and it's the it's it's the quiet moments they what are some of the needs let's I want to I want to push you a little bit on this what are some of the needs that that, and you don't have to give away any names of course but what are the needs that men aren't being vocal with um and and this is a really good question because I I, one of the exercises I take guys through is, is, is around their needs. And usually I, when I talk to them about needs, either they look at me like a rabbit in the headlights and go, I don't understand the question. Um, or it just comes down to, well, how much sex am I getting? And when we start breaking down what needs look like, and, and in my world, it's not the needs aren't the things that get you having a great time needs are the things that get you to okay and the things that without them you're not okay so when you kind of look at it like that it's it's things like sleep good quality sleep loads of guys they you know the family's all gone to bed and they sit there watching videos of boats crashing or buildings being blown up or something just to get some space from you know it's almost like a visual valium or they're awake in the middle of the night worrying about things, or they're up still sending emails at midnight. Um, So stuff like sleep, intimate connection with friends. Most guys, when especially the more successful they get, the less time they spend with their mates, with, with guys, they might do lots of dinners and stuff as couples. And, you know, they might have friends in, in that way, but actual real intimate unless they play a sport generally that that need is one that gets just taken and when you look at young guys young guys all have a good circle of male friends it's kind of university age that's it they've always got a good circle of of male friends and this as they grow through their careers just dwindles and they just end up on a christmas card list and a very occasional phone call uh, what what's the percentage roughly of British men that you're working with currently versus international? Most are British men. So so and the the reason I asked that question is that I I lived almost a year in London in 2011 2012, and I look back at my time in the UK as uh, with like a a gentle shake of the head. And I've been very public with my challenges through drink and drugs and gambling and philandering and all, all the other stuff. But I, I remember every, like, every opportunity to go to the pub, 
And you talk about these these uh, connections, and we, we had a huge big circle of friends. But every time we'd get together, it would always involve alcohol and then cocaine, right, <laughs> and other stuff. And so you never had time really with people. And I played a little bit of cricket when I was there, but you never had time really with people. There was always a veil of escapism behavior. And, yeah. and that that's an endemic in the British culture, right? Same with, with a lot of countries, New Zealand, Australia in particular. But we would just have a few pints and then it'd be like the first person to crack to say, let's get a bag in, you know, that, which is slang for let's get some, get, let's get some cocaine. And when I left London, I had five drug dealers' phone numbers in my phone. One of them gave me a big hug and wished me all the best, you know. And I look back at my life during that time and I was heading down off this precipice. My life was a disaster zone, like affected everything negatively in my life, work and finances and everything. And I can only imagine what that rat race must be like for people that had no light at the end of the tunnel. And, and you mentioned a lot of the secrets there, you know, the drugs, the alcohol, the, you know, driving the Ford Philanderer, as we like to call it. <laughs> it's a very unreliable model, isn't it? <laughs> the Ford Philanderer. I just traded in my Jag for a Ford Philanderer. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, it, it, it is... And I think it's in Western culture, it's in, and maybe it is in global culture, because the pressures of men feeling that they have to, that they have to, they kind of, most guys say that, that the buck stops with them. So even if their wife or partner is a high earner, maybe even if she earns more than him, if you ask where does the buck stop, it's always the guy. They always say, no, that, that's, my, that's my responsibility. I'll just something really quickly that I think is, it was super interesting to me, Fiona, and I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this. So Anna and I were literally married uh, a month ago. And the, from the get-go, Anna's from Russia, very traditional uh, family uh, role model uh, dynamic. We're working on making a family and I, it's been my commitment to be the provider for the family. And it's not that she stays at home doing nothing. It's that like, I just, I take care of that. And she empowers me with her feminine energy. And whether you agree with that or not, that's what we've decided it's going to work well with us. And it does work beautifully. I, we were walking out to dinner a couple of weeks ago. And I said, darling, now that I'm providing in this family, do you still want me to make, to pay for dinner, or even though I've sent money across to you that I've bought in the woolly mammoth, do you want to do it that way? And she said, I still want you to, to pay for dinner. And I think that's a great lesson there because it's like, even though I've bought the money and it's still that act, it's still a primal provider feeling. And so I, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on, on that dynamic and, what maybe men and women can do to improve their own situations? Oh, big! This is this is a massive subject because it is the beautiful dance between the masculine and feminine. And and if we were to take the masculine and feminine out of the dialogue of male and female, men and women, we'd just look at it as 
the masculine and feminine energies, if you like. I always look at this as, you know, you know the traditional yin yang, where you've got it, it's a, it's a two dimensional image of the masculine and the feminine, and each one having a little of the other inside. Now, I see this as instead of being two dimensional, I see it as a three dimensional thing. So, if you imagine this now as a globe, as a ball that's still divided up in the same way, but it's fluid and it moves. And when the masculine expands, the feminine yields. And when the feminine expands, the masculine yields. And and this dance between the two is in constant motion. To me, this is what we've missed in the um, equality movement, if you like. We've missed that actually... I'm, a, I'm an equitist, not an equalitist, because I believe everyone should have what they need. So, equitist. an equitist, yeah. Equitist, I never heard that word ever used. I think I made before. it up, kind it's of. It's great. At some point, because I didn't, you know, I've never been a feminist. I've never been, I love the difference between the masculine and the feminine. And I think, I think it is only when the whichever gender or whichever um, energy you occupy as your primary energy, it's only when it's blended and balanced with the opposite that you can, you can find this harmonious, I'm okay with you paying for everything or me doing the kids and the chores in the house or, or you doing all the chores in the house and the kids and, and me going and earning the money. It, it makes no difference. It's that that both parts are present in that dance. When you have, and what this is what we see a lot of, I think, in, in relationship in the West at the moment, is that the women have occupied their masculine in order to take up those high-level positions in the corporate world and you know earn significant salaries and, and that kind of thing. And what happens when they get home is they remain in their masculine. And that means the men have either got to abdicate into their feminine or they come to blows when you've got two masculines meeting head on. It generally, there's generally a fight for dominance and it generally ends up in some sort of fight. Most guys don't hit women. So it, the only place to go is that abdication of like, well, okay, you wear the trousers. I'll, I'll, I will sacrifice again. And this is where you, you see men being disempowered. You see women looking at the guys going, "Come on, you know, I need you to, I need you to be a stand for the family." And yet he can't because she's actually holding the masculine energy in that dynamic. I love so much that you you know so much about this because it's it's such a really important part of my understanding and and my being really for lack of a better word learning learning how this dynamic works or learning it better because like a lot of people like I grew up as the the child as a child of divorce and and my father who did the best he could with the tools he had available grew up in a dysfunctional family with no strong masculine role model so he didn't know so he he became he was a weak man who married a ultra dominant woman and my mother 
who just walked all over him and it just killed the, the, the energy. He then had an affair, married that lady, my stepmother, who was an alcoholic, like, and was dominant in her own way. Um, and just like it, I had gamophobia for a very long time. For those who don't know, it's, it's the terminology for a fear of marriage, right? G-A-M-A phobia. And, uh, and I was like, man, I don't want to be involved with this. Every single person in my, both sides of my family being married, divorced at least, you know, twice. And my mum's had five surnames for God's sake. And, uh, but it was learning about it and empowering myself with the knowledge that really made the prospect of marrying really exciting. And I love the fact that I've gone through with this now. I love being married to my darling Anna and, and, uh, you know, when, whenever I, whenever I go off the rails a little bit, or if I get upset or angry, she just kills me with kindness. <laughs> and, and that's because she embodies femininity so well. She's powerful in her feminine. She doesn't embody masculine to make it work. She embodies femininity. And femininity is not weakness. It's strength in a different way. Bingo. And, and do you know what? I attribute all of the madness that I've been able to pull off to her. Because I, I like I, she's just my ride or die. I'm like, darling, let's, let's do this. She's like, okay. And uh, it's not that it's blind faith, but if men could only understand that if you can figure this dynamic out, you will become way more powerful in what you do. What are your thoughts on that? The feminine is an incredibly strong place to hold the masculine, which is why I say I'm a stand for masculine, because there's loads of guys working in guys' work. And for some guys, that, that's brilliant. For a lot of guys, they, a lot of guys they're like, yeah, I, I could only talk to guys about this stuff. But I, I'm one of very few women who work in this in this realm. Most women work in, I'm going to be a woman's coach. And it's like, there's a very unique space that women can hold for men. And, and I think it's in that femininity that men can really find their masculinity. You can provide an, an angle or perspective that no man could ever provide. <laughs> it's the genius of it. There's a woman that I want to connect you with who lives in London as well. Her name is Vendy Steinberger, and she's, she's uh, moving into the space. She was a LinkedIn expert, and, and now she's realized that it's really important to on this masculine, feminine energy. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, are, you are truly doing God's work. And I, it's going back to what I was asking about before, Fiona, like since you've learned more about this being and you've learned information from Steve and from this amazing community of people and the, probably the countless Zoom meetings you've had with people that are involved in this amazing community, like how much more effective as a coach have you become, do you think, as a percentage, if you could even create that number? Well, I don't even know if I could put a number on it, but, but what it has done is – so. I, I've developed a tool called The Power of the Masculine Archetypes. Um, and it's a it's a kind of a profiling thing. It gives you a snapshot of, of which of the which of six masculine arch, archetypes you are. If you think of them as tools, which one is your go-to tool? Which one is the one that you tend to pick out of the tool bag first? Um, and what what this has made me understand is how much of that is actually about who you're being. So at the moment, I see a, a very big number of men occupying the space of the father, 
which is they're all incredibly powerful spaces. But the father is sacrificial. The father is the one that puts everyone else's needs above his own. And it it really I can I can almost look at the results and see the man's being. You know, I can see with father, you're going to have way too much on your plate. You've not just got, you know, your family at your at your hearth, as it were, but you've probably got the business in there and half of your team and you know, your boss and the neighbours and the football team that you coach and all the rest of it, that they're all kind of in that space that's really close to you and you're sacrificing for those people. Um, so so what understanding this has done is it's deepened my work. It's It's enabled, I mean, just the effect it's had on me as a human being means I am more committed. And when I'm more committed, everything changes. And when people see that level of commitment, they want to get that committed and they want to be committed to their lives and they want to be committed to the change that they want to see in the world. And I I don't think you can put a number on it. I would have said I was a pretty good coach before, but now I'm a Bloody good coach. <laughs> because of amen, it. amen. Well, I know I'm going to ask a question. I know everyone's thinking about what are the archetypes, and then when you've when you've gone through those, I want to know if you know what I am and what Steve is. Oh, I'd love to. Oh no, I I know I know exactly. Um, I think Steve come out incredibly balanced, right? So we we've got the sorcerer, we've got the king. I only use six archetypes. So the sorcerer, the king, the warrior the father, the lover, and the hero. And they are all really powerful. And it's not that one is better than the other. It is literally that you use these archetypes for different things. So um, you might look at, say, say you're at work all day and you, you, you're in warrior mode and you're just getting stuff done. You're focused, you're on target, you're on task, you're doing that warrior thing. And you get home and you don't shift out of warrior. You walk in the door and you're still in warrior. So what's, you know, where's the dinner? What are the kids doing? Have you done your homework? You're still in this, this, I'm executing everything. You're going to burn out like ridiculously quickly. So to be able to go, okay, I'm done with warrior because I needed warrior to, to hit that deadline. And now I'm going to shift out of that and I'm going to shift into it might be lover. It might be father. It might be a balance of the two of them. But having this conscious access to these different states of being, one of the questions that, that we, we learn from Steve is, who do I need to be? And these archetypes, you know, who do I need to be to make a decision? Right, well, who, who makes decisions? Right, the king makes decisions. Okay, or who do I need to be to look after myself better, to get down the gym? You know, maybe maybe you need to mix a bit of lover and a bit of warrior together to get yourself down the gym and, and look after your body. Um, and I know you did take the. And I seem to remember yours was you. You get like a spider graph back um, that indicates these. And I remember yours was really big. You you were very empowered in all of these areas and pretty well balanced. I seem to remember. So that means not only do you have access to all of them, it means you're utilizing them as you would a toolkit. You know, if you've got a 
I say to a lot of my clients, if you only have a hammer, everything's a hammer problem. <laughs> you know, so if that's the only tool your go-to is always the same archetype and you've only got that tool, you're going to do everything with that. And that's great if you want to hit nails in or pull nails out. But if you want to cut a piece of wood into, you're just going to bash the hell out of it with a hammer and break it. What you really need is to be able to go back into your toolkit and go, right, where's the saw? Okay, I've got the saw now. Now I can cut the wood into. Where's the screwdriver? Where's the pliers? Where's the and and actually have a functional access to your being masculine? Well, I think we need to include that link in the show notes uh, for people that are curious that want to do it because I yeah I totally forgot that I did it. If I'm honest, it was a few months ago. I think um, and now you've jogged my memory and it was really fun. It was really interesting because. You, you, you're right. It's like you, you're not just one archetype the whole time. You, it, in order to be really functional, you need to be able to flow in and out by the sounds of it. Yeah. And embody it. This isn't a, an academic understanding in your head. It's an embodiment of, of, of that. So I do, with a lot of my clients, I do embodiment exercises and I get, you know, they'll put playlists together. You'll have your lover playlist. Um, you'll have your king you have your warrior and, and you can really get these states inside you. So, so when you need them, they're there. And, and I, ideally you get to a point where you've, you've got easy access, like a gear shift on a car, you know, you just want to be able to very simply move through the gears to, to access, which is whichever is the right gear to be in for whatever you're doing. And um, yeah, we'll, the, the, do, you, do you want me to give you the... Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll make sure it's in the show notes, but if you just let people know how they can find yeah, it. Yes, so you can just go to my website, which is um, www.fiona-ross.co.uk or .com. Either will get you there. Um, and it'll actually just pop up on your screen it's, as, a, as a pop-up on the website. And you just click on that. And my, my only advice to anyone who wants to do it is... Don't think too quick. Don't think too long about the questions, um, and answer the first thing that comes into your head. Yeah, good advice. Because I, I remember I've done a lot of these um, disc enneagram, Maya Briggs, and what I've noticed, I've done them, done the same one a couple of times over the course of about four or five years. And they do evolve. They, they can evolve. You can improve. You can get better. So if, if it comes back and it's a disaster zone, <laughs> don't worry about it too much. Just do something about it. I, this has been and really interesting. With that spider graph, what you're looking at is, is expanding it and having it as even, uh, not hexagram, is it six? Six-pointed a gram. Hex is hex. Octagram's eight. Ox, yeah. Sept is seven. seven. Six. Can is... you have seven? <laughs> Maybe it is a hexagram. You can tell I got thirty-six out of a hundred for mathematics. It's <laughs> it might be a hexagram actually, um, but it's it. Often they come back looking a bit spiky. You know, you'll be quite low in one and, and quite big in, in the other and. There is a, a fairly comprehensive report that comes along with it. And, and what I found is that a lot of guys, they look at, oh, yeah, well, I've, I've got a strong saucer. And it will always feel good, whichever one comes out the strongest for you, because that's the one you're strongest in. 
Yeah. So that's always going to be like uh, self-affirming. Yeah, I knew I was a you know sorcerer. That's me. Um, but it's also looking at, at where the lower ones are, and it's not it's not that they're wrong. It's just about how do we, how do we empower you in that so everything expands and and you you have that nice easy access to all of them. That's where men's power comes in. Yeah, and we, we need more people like you doing this, Fiona, because this is so so important. And I'm really glad that we ended up talking about this in such detail. And and because uh, it all ties into this this leveling up, the self improvement. You know, the the first 13 minutes of my experience with Steve Hardison in real life, he yelled at me <laughs> that he was the best coach in the world from a place of absolute zero ego. And I, I've been so fascinated by that experience. It resonated with me in a way that has transformed my life forever and allowed me to step into this statement of the world's best courage coach, which for me a year or two ago, like it's just such a foreign concept. And there's a lot to be said about, what kind of impact that I've been able to make on the world now that I'm, I've developed the courage or the king or the sorcerer or whatever that masculine trait is, further empowered by my darling Anna. And I really feel like I'm unstoppable. And I think if we had more men that were unstoppable, we need more women that believe they're unstoppable. We need, we need the men to do that as well. Yeah, and it's, it's about getting this idea of dominion out of the way, that's that is the old paradigm. The I rule you, this overexpressed king, this tyrannical you'll do my bidding thing. This is overexpression of the king archetype and dominion over others. There is no place for that in progress. The only place you've got any right to have any dominion is over yourself. And if you know what you described with, with your relationship with Anna, this is this isn't a di- just because you're earning the money doesn't make you the the dominant one, you know. It, you know, it's this beautiful interplay of the masculine and feminine, and 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 Steve and Amy, when when you witness them together, again you see this beautiful expression of the masculine and feminine working seamlessly, and it's not that it's all. Steve and the masculine and all Amy and the feminine, but the dance between the two of them. It's, you know, it, it, when, when I see couples that have this right, and that's not to say people don't argue and have disagreements and have challenges, and, but when, when that commitment is there and, and that, that, that you know that person's got your back no matter what, you can do anything. Amen, you can. Mm. <laughs> yes, you can. Fiona-Ross.co.uk or .com. What can people expect to find when they get on your website apart from this masculinity test? Um, there, there's, a, there's a few blogs that are, are, are very good reading. Um, it's really just a very gentle introduction for men into the idea that they can seek support and help um and a little bit about why I work with men and isn't it there's it's not a, an onerous website I wanted it simple when I created it you know the, the the whole thing was keep it really 
easy access for guys because they they don't want to spend a long time <laughs> looking at this stuff. It's a it's a very simple, easy access into why it's so important. And you know, I have a selfish element. I love men, and I want the men in my life to be happy. I want the men in my life to create the lives they want and be powerful in the way that they need to be powerful, however that looks. And I'm sad to see statistics around male suicide and drink and alcohol problems and family breakups and all of that stuff. We don't need to live that way. We haven't really touched on any of your background. So where does this drive come from? It's funny, you know, I've, I've looked at, at that golden thread that runs through my life. I grew up with boys. Um, so all my cousins were boys. My closest friends were all boys. I have a brother. Um, I was always happier around boys when I was a kid. And I was fascinated by them because I, I was the different one. I, I was the one that, you know, couldn't climb the trees and you know, put biscuits in the bucket and boys would haul them up into the tree camps and <laughs> be at the bottom. Um, and I always used to look at them and think, wow, I wonder what it's like to be a boy. Because I, you know, th- we're talking about the 1960s and seven, uh, late 60s, early 70s when I was a, sm- a small kid. And it was still the age where the, where the masculine was pretty much dominant. I mean, it was only 1972 that women in the UK could o- open a bank account without the permission of their father or husband. Really? Yeah. And in the States, I think it was about a year later. So, you know, we're not talking about very long, really. So I was kind of at this, this women's lib, burning their bras, all this kind of stuff. So I was still brought up in the era of the unspoken expectation was that I'd just get married and have children, that kind of thing. So I was fascinated by all that boys could have. And I I remember two very distinct thoughts. One was, wow, they get to do so much more than I get to do. I mean, I was younger than them all as well, which probably had something to do with it, but I didn't see that. I saw it as that's because they were boys. They got to go to bed later. They had better toys. They had more fun. You know, it just seemed like they had a better a better lot. Um, and the other thing, and I and, and I just I can almost remember exactly where I was. Um, I used to go to. Do you remember? You know, like there was Cub Scouts, right? So my mum was she was she was one of the yeah dib dib dib. She was car, and because my dad wasn't home from work, I used to have to go to Cubs with her. So again, I was the only girl in in this this cub group and I was at this I was at the Cub Scout hut and I remember thinking what an immense pressure it must be for boys to know they've got to earn all the money to support not just themselves but a, a woman and maybe two or three other human beings and that and I remember thinking that's a lot of pressure and I'm being quite relieved that I was a girl, although I ended up a single mum and had to do all that anyway. <laughs> um, but it, it, I can remember thinking it as a really quite a young, a young child. So I think it's always been fascinating to me. The masculine has always been a fascinating space, and and yeah, I, I think it's 
I think I've held quite a lot of masculine in me growing up in the 80s, you know, in in the UK we had um we had some very strange um images of of the feminine to go by. So so we had Madonna who was famously quoted as saying she thought that sleeping her way to the top was a good career move. So there was that whole sex sells thing. It was it was a it was in a it was a place where femininity was okay to be that way. And then we had Princess Diana, who was the femme fatale. I mean, she was the ultimate victim. Um, we had Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady. You know, she was, and she was fully in her masculine. And we had an, an impotent queen. As much as I love the queen, she holds no power, no political power. She, she had just, you know, that's all been taken away. So, so as far as the the feminine archetypes that that I grew up with, it was a well, you're either going to take on the shoulder pads and the big hair and the, you know, or you take on the sex kitten thing and and sex cells and and use that. But femininity was seen as weak. Um, so we all adopted some form of masculine to power through. And uh, and through the through the work that I've I've done with archetypes and the masculine and the feminine, I've realize the power of the feminine is in the feminine it's not in being masculine it's being feminine Fiona do you have any concluding thoughts for our audience today I think discovering your being is the single singly most powerful thing you can do spending the time to do the inner work on yourself before you start going around trying to help other people with their being, make sure you've sorted your being first. Um, in there's a, there's a quote from um, the Lord of the Rings where Gandalf says, advice is very dangerous, even from the very wise. I think giving yourself your own advice by doing the inner work is probably the best place to start. Gentlemen, Fiona Ross. Thank you for listening. If you know someone who would benefit from today's conversation, please share this podcast with them. Also, we invite you to visit theultimatecoachbook.com so you can continue your personal exploration of being. There you will find links to join our wonderful community, get your own copy of the ultimate coach book and more simply go now to www.theultimatecoachbook.com that's www.theultimatecoachbook.com the link is also available in the show notes we appreciate your support be blessed be used